you better edit my previous statement out. You want me to edit I'm that be, out? I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be so mad. I'm gonna be so mad. But I just explained all the spark. I can't edit it. Making now. me look like you're making me look like an idiot. Hey there, this is Eric Van Johnson, and you're listening to PHP Ugly episode 48, recorded February 2nd, 2017. In this episode, Thomas and I talk about deprecations for PHP 7.2, Testbench, GitHub's new topics feature, and the complete and total meltdown of GitLab, and a lot more. So let's get started. Good afternoon, Thomas. Good afternoon, Eric. How are things? Pretty good. Busy. Packing. Getting ready. Packing up the homestead, huh? Yeah, you know, starting to starting to pack up the things that we didn't want to pack up until last minute. Entertainment <laughs> yeah. stuff and that kind of thing. You're really doing this, huh? You're really moving out. Really doing it. Started started changing mailing addresses and doing mail forwards and all sorts of stuff. Is this still a thing? You still do mail still forwards? Thing. Oh uh-huh. yeah. You know, for the mail for the mail forward, they charge you a buck. They charge and you a the, buck uh, now. Yeah, the credit card has to be registered to your current address, so that you can't, you know, forward somebody else's mail for you. I never even thought about that. <laughs> but if you issue a mail hold, they don't ask anything unique. So if I decided that you just weren't going to get mail for a couple months, I could <laughs> do that for you. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that used to be a thing. It used to go in there, go to the post office and have to change your address. It's funny how it's like you, you've got to wonder how did that ever work? Like before computers, how, how did that work? Was there somebody in that post office looking through forwards every time mail came in to know what to forward and what not to forward? Yeah. That's crazy. How do things get done? You've got a, you've got a mailbox. It. You've got a mailbox at your house, but you also have a mailbox at the post office, so they can sticky notes onto it and stuff that say, "Not this at this address." Not or here yeah, that, that is crazy. The, the funny, the the things like the weird little things that you t- you take for granted in your life, and you don't really know how it actually works. It's just kind of like magic. Yeah, I still I still don't know how I order things from Amazon and get them the next day. It's like to to me, I I can't get my lazy ass up to go to Walmart to pick up something, but I can order it off Amazon and get it the next day. I I don't know. It's yeah, crazy. I've, I've gotten stuff the same day. I've ordered it four in the morning and gotten it at, at noon. Yeah, yeah, that's just see, crazy. I can uh, I can understand that better because that's technology. That is automated systems and mass automation of trucks and package systems. I mean, you know, you ever want to see the most advanced conveyor belt systems in the world, look at shipping departments. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah. But the, yeah, regular old mail, I, it still mystifies me that I, they managed to get it to me on a regular basis. What do you even get in mail anymore? I mean, I, I get things in mail, but, it's like 
like I get bills, but I get the bill online too. I, I'm one of these bitter bill payers where it always says, Hey, save the environment. Click here to do electronic billing. I'm like, yeah, I'm all down for that. If it gives me a discount, if it doesn't give me a discount, I want you to spend the money on the paper to send to me because you're making me send you money. So, well, and sometimes they'll charge you to do it online, which is even oh, more absurd. That's yeah. That's nuts. I, I, I haven't come across that, but yeah, I, I'm a spiteful bill payer. It's like, I'm going to make you do all the work you have to do unless you're willing to get, cut me a deal. I think, isn't that a credit score grade? It's like the, in this in the five to six hundreds, you're a spiteful bill payer. Above six hundred, you're a gracious bill payer. <laughs> yeah, that's probably me then. <laughs> so we hasn't been that long since we last talked, right? We did our last podcast on Saturday. Yeah, I was worried we weren't going to have enough news topics here, but boy, we got a, a quite a bit of good news and stuff to cover, and well, had some exciting things is, happen. <laughs> Yeah, and one of my favorite stories so far this year. I can't can't wait to get to that one. I bet you I know which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to at work? Oh, boy. I've been doing a migration from 4.2 to 5.3. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been covering my boss's butt because he's flying all over the world. That is, he's flying all over the world, really? Got him. Yeah, got is himself he- an exotic girlfriend. Nice. Yeah. So he's, uh, you know, skiing in the Alps and that kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) 4.2 to 5.3. That's a pretty, pretty big leap. Oh yeah. It's disgusting. And Uh, and it's got, it's, it's, it's a lot of my old code and it's all in the, the 4.2 format. So everything's accessed with facades. Uh, the things like input are completely deprecated for request. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's giving me a headache. So that's that's got to just be a lot of manual going through the code and updating things, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's actually at a point where uh, pages will render now, mm-hmm. um, but not all of them. There's a lot of them that are like, I have no idea what it is you're asking me to do here. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is one of our more complicated systems. Yeah. It actually handles text messages, phone calls, MMS messages, and it has huge amounts of backend administration. So, you know, I was thinking about the Laravel. Uh, what's, it, what's it called? Shift. Laravel Shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, Laravel Shift would have come to a screeching halt trying to connect with this thing because there's so much custom code. Yeah, and, and you got to do shift and steps too. So you would have had to pay for each each Laravel upgrade from four two to five three. So it's not like you pay from four two to five three. You got to go four two to whatever the next was there four three to. Uh, no, know. it would be four. It'd be four two to five. And then five one five two five three. Right. So you would have to you would have had to pay for each one of those steps. And yeah, like you said, just custom code aside, each one of those jumps has a bunch of things you have to address, and it probably would probably would have been just as messy. I don't know. Yeah, and and it's actually 
three separate packages that we maintain just for this one application. So we we would have had to pay it three times. Yeah. And so that's actually one of the things I've run into with trying to do even smaller upgrades with Laravel is I'm running into a couple times where there aren't packages for the new version of Laravel. Yeah. Or, and the package doesn't work. That dependencies kind of uh, hit me in the butt a couple times. I, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest with you. I have have one company that changed the package between versions. So they, they released a new product and deprecated the old product during the 4.2 days. Mm-hmm. And it's not a compatible upgrade between systems. So trying to do the minimum amount of work, I ran into the fact that that whole package, which, you know, handles user authentication just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's we we talked about this a couple podcasts back about just trying to keep up with upgrades and updates, and it's a such a challenge. You know, we we were talking about the challenge of having all the different layers, the application layer, the server layer, you know, all the layers to keep up the OS, but even within the application with composer and and leveraging all these third party packages, you can handcuff yourself to a version, not even know you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Well, the interesting thing for me though, is that it has started giving me experience with package creation for long-term support. No. What do you mean? So we've, we've got these packages that we made to sort of help out, across our universal environment of projects stuff that just handles the way we do billing, for example. And now that components are getting upgraded sort of left and right, those different packages need to be upgraded for different versions at different times. So I've got some new experience tagging for composer or creating readmes that are compatible across versions. So, you know, when you go to to Packagist and look up a package, they'll have a readme that links to an older version. So if you, it'll say, if you're looking for Laravel 4 support, click here. And click here will link to the readme doc for a specific tagged commit. Mm-hmm. So there's interesting little things that you can do to help out your users. And I've also run across a very cool package called test bench by orchestral Mm -hmm. and this is a laravel testing helper for package development so it's not just testing your application but it's testing your package for the purpose of being included in other people's projects so what sort of things does it test as far as a package goes it tests that if you have routes or migrations in your package that they will get properly propagated to whatever system they're being used on. It tests migrations and path checking model factories. If you've created them for your package, this is uh, a Laravel specific. Yeah. So when, when you install a package in Laravel, you need to uh, apply the, 
service provider and maybe a facade or alias pointer. And in some packages, you need to publish configs and views and routes and migrations. So this is a test bench just for making sure that that stuff gets deployed correctly. So you, you can quickly say, did my change here, would it successfully install on someone's Laravel 5 deployment? Or would it work on Laravel four or three? And so they have that's pretty slick. You know, yeah, they have versions for every Laravel version level. So if you want to make sure that your app is five point four or your your library is five point four compatible, then you get the three point four point X branch of the test bench, and voila! And it'll oh, just it'll just cool. dump out and say, yeah, yeah, your migrations are broken here. You can't do that. That's that's pretty cool. That that's nice. That and that's on GitHub. Yeah, that's orchestral slash test bench. All right, we'll have that in the show notes for sure. And, and and that's its main function is just to test package compatibility. Yeah, just to test your test that your package will properly install and configure on specific Laravel version. That's a good one to keep a note of. What else we got? Talking about upgrades, we got. We're, it looks like they're already queuing up for PHP seven point two. Did you see this? I'm excited about this. Deprecations announced. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing so, too. Uh, nothing stands out too much. You know, it's funny. I look at some of these. They they mention the each function. I'm like, the what? Oh yeah, that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> It's been so long since I've used it. Yeah, boy, they're ditching each. So that's going to be a huge backwards compatibility break. For you older, think huge? Old, I, I think for older projects that have yet to run into 7.0 issues, mm-hmm. that is a, a big getcha right there. Because that was I think, something I did a lot in the 5 era. Yeah, I think the people who are trying to who've been like nursing legacy code along, that might be one of the ones that eventually bites them and they need to kind of go in there and do some work. But nothing else yeah. nothing else here really jumps out as something I, I used a lot. Parse string. There's some encryption anymore. level stuff. Yeah. GM yeah, GMP random and MB string func- function overload. Those will be important changes for encryption libraries um, because the GMP random bits and GMP random range functions were introduced in 5.6 to be preferred over GMP random. Well, I guess if you're still using the old encryption, yeah, you shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing too earth shattering. No. And now these are all new deprecations for 7.2. And this RFC did get accepted. So these are final. Cool. Things have to deprecate, I guess. It's a thing. Have you heard of yeah. uh, anything new coming to 7.2? Because I haven't. Oh, boy. Nice. Put the, put the pressure on me. Oh, no. You don't have to go look it up or anything right now. I was just curious if you, if they're talking about deprecations, if they're if they had releasing thing on new features. You know who does have a new feature? Who? <laughs> GitHub. 
<laughs> what? What's so funny? I don't know. It's just it was funny to me how I tried to force it was, that because it was right there on the screen. <laughs> I'm just like trying to <laughs> force a segue here. <laughs> yeah, GitHub now you can tag projects. That's kind of cool. I didn't really know that 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 was a new thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's new. It must be new. There's there's an article talking about how it's new. They're plugging <laughs> the hell out of it. It was funny because I was in a repo and I saw it pop up on the repo. I'm like, what is this? And I click on them like, okay, I can tag. And when I initially did it, because I work so much in private repos, uh, when I initially did it, I'm like, okay, what's the point of this? It doesn't really seem to add anything to, to my repo. I'm not sure why I'm doing it. And then I started thinking about the bigger picture and open source projects and people looking for like things developed in Laravel, things developed in specific uh, frameworks. Then I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand the purpose of it. if you're able to search based on uh, they they call it topic, not tagging, it's topics. But yeah, if you're able to search based on topic, that does seem helpful. That's helpful, but boy, that seems like an intern's job to code that, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was some somebody's little side project. They're like, hey. This seems like a good idea. Let's do this. I would really like to see GitHub get tighter integration with Composer. You know, a dependency aware GitHub. I'm not sure I follow. Well, I'm with Composer, you can say, here are my dependencies. Here are things that are dependent on me. Mm-hmm. You could map that. You could say, hey, give me all projects who declare Laravel 5.3 as a dependency. Hmm. That would be a much better search term to me. Hmm. I see what you're saying. You know, if something's tagged as Laravel, right now I know that it's the newest Laravel version, but if it's tagged as Laravel five years from now, I don't know if it's Laravel 5 or 4. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's up to date. I want to see GitHub hold coders responsible and say, yeah, this... This guy hasn't updated this package in two years. Don't use it. Give package reliability. Okay. Okay. I follow you there. I mean, you can, you can kind of see. That's one of the things I look at when I go to a package. I see when the last time the repo was updated and how active the repo is. You, you, you kind of see that. But, yeah, I could see a scoring system based on that. Yeah. My opinion is if, if it's been three months, the maintainer is taking a long vacation. If it's five months, the pro- the project's been abandoned. Mm. I usually give a little bit more time to that, but yeah, yeah, I agree. It's been like that recently for me because of PHP 7 and 7.1. Is that if you haven't gotten on board with PHP 7, then your package is out of date completely. And if you haven't gotten on board with 7.1, then you're just not trying. <laughs> Yeah. So I came back to work last week when we we talked. I just gotten back from a nice long cruise and a little short vacation. Had to get back up to speed on a couple projects, bringing on a new developer, working on a couple new contracts. Been a stressful a stressful week uh, a little yeah. bit. Hello. Yeah, but you know who had. A, a much more stressful week, GitLab. 
Yeah, I'm gonna guess that. I'm gonna guess that they had a rough week. That was one of those weeks where you're like, I have made some poor life decisions here. <laughs> the good news is, GitLab is now looking for a backend developer. If anyone is interested. <laughs> The uh, GitLab has really been in the news a lot lately with the pricing structure change over at GitHub, which is, again, John and I, my business partner, looked into once more because we had a client who has a lot of repos and not a lot of developers. So they have more repos than they have developers. And they needed more repos. So we looked at the pricing structure and it's like, Hey, you know what? If you go to the new pricing structure, your costs are going to increase a little bit, but it's not that bad because of the fact that you're getting unlimited repos at that point, the additional cost and it kicked up their bill by like 20 or 25 bucks. So it's like, yeah, you would have had to pay that additional 20, 25 bucks to get the next tier of repos. Anyhow. So, Let's just pay it per developer, get unlimited repos, and life is dandy. But for my company, where we tend to have more developers, it's one of the things that's frustrating to me because as developers on your team, and we have contractors who don't work with us full time. Like They'll come in, they'll work on a project, one specific project for a couple hours and be done but they still have to be on our GitHub team to do that, to have access to the repo. So they're full cost to us. We have to pay full price for them. And we have a good range of developers that we like to have at the handy for different projects. So we keep them on our team. Maybe they work on a project here and there, no big deal. But for us to convert that plan, because we have so many clients that have their own repos, we don't have that many private repos within our organization with that structure, the pricing just turns it on its head. And we've been looking real hard at GitLab thinking, okay, maybe it's time to convert over to GitLab for our stuff because it's just the pricing model is not there in GitHub that, that makes sense for us. And that was a good. They have an amazing compression algorithm too. They, they can turn three GitLab. They can take a 300 gigabytes of repos and compress it all the way down to 4.5 gigabytes. I'm not, I'm not sure if delete is is an actual compression <laughs> approach. Yeah, I kind of went on, on a tangent there with GitHub, but yeah, back to the GitLab issue. <laughs> <laughs> so we have all had that. You're not a Unix administrator until you've at least one time in your life have done an RM dash RF slash. It's like, until you've done that and had that moment of, Oh my God, what have I just done? You're not a Unix administrator. So I can totally, totally appreciate what happened over GitLab. I I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to correct you on that one. You're a junior administrator. When that happens, when that happens, you're officially a junior administrator. When, when someone below you does it and you have to fix it is when you're a system administrator. <laughs> and 
this post is clearly written by the senior system administrator because it breaks down step by step which users had to do what and who had to do a kill process on the RM-RF. <laughs> so props to GitLab. They were very transparent about the incident from the get-go all the way to the point where they started live streaming the recovery. You could go to YouTube. <laughs> and yeah, they started live streaming a potential suicide. It was a risky move, <laughs> but it was transparent. I remember looking at that video and saying to myself, I don't think I can watch this. <laughs> I I had it up for about 30 seconds and I was, it just, it made, it gave me the, this cold shiver. Like I was watching a ghost. <laughs> It definitely looked like a few of the engineers had not slept for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. And, and, you know, this is during the process where I'm watching episodes of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Where the webcam falls down into a crevice and the guy is being live streamed dying. Oh, oh I remember that. Yeah, one. I watched is, that episode that same day. Is that show coming back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't I haven't watched season three yet, but it better. Yeah, so GitLab really had a problem. Here's a good description of the problem. 2017-02-01-118 AM. Copy of remaining production data, including PG underscore X log, tarred up as 2017-01-31-db-meltdown-backup.tar.gz. <laughs> <laughs> when you are naming your backups by date dash meltdown you're in trouble <laughs> yeah so what happened at gitlab first thing none of the repos were at risk is my understanding they they were never deleted it was it was really this this database that, that got nuked right yeah so it started with some kind of spam attack that they tried to mitigate. And then a database cluster stopped replicating. The Postgres team came on, couldn't uh, decided that there were too many semaphores open, which if you deal with databases is just the, the worst. God, that's the worst. <laughs> and <laughs> At this point, frustration begins to kick in. Earlier this night, team member one explicitly mentioned he was going to sign off as it was getting late, but didn't due to the replication problems popping up all of a sudden. Third incident. <laughs> team member one thinks that perhaps PG base backup is refusing to work due to the Postgres data directory being present, decides to remove the directory. This is where things go really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Yeah. Because what happens is, I guess they think they're on one one cluster and they're actually on another, and start to <laughs> remove the directory of the wrong server. Yeah, and there's there's a hidden story in this, which I believe the person writing this this incident report is trying to state, which is that team member one was too tired mm -hmm. and didn't have a replacement to take the workload. And that this mistake was the result of working 38 hours straight. Overextending yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good lesson for any company to learn is that you may only need one guy to maintain your system. But when that guy is pushed 
to 16 hours of work in a single day, you need to cut him loose, even if he doesn't want to. Yeah. If the guy doing your system recovery is burnt out and he doesn't want to let go, you have to kick him out of the office because he'll eventually drop your database. Yeah, we had a long talk about that with one of the places I worked. There kind of became this thought of, hey, if we get this much work done in eight hours, if everybody pulled you know, an all-nighter and worked 24 hours, we get this much work done. And that productivity scale does not scale like that. I mean, it's it has a very sharp drop-off. And after somebody stops being productive, whether that's six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever that is, that drop-off on productivity is steep and will yeah. not come back. And if you're the one pushing yourself, trying to be more productive, and you're you're trying to do this method of just working more and working more, you may not see it. And and sometimes it takes somebody walking up behind you saying, you know, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you you need to take a break. You're you're not getting anything done. You feel like you are. You think you just have to work a little bit more and you can get all these things accomplished, but you're not the errors you're making are, are getting greater and it's just, it, it, you spiral down real quick, r- real fast. Yeah. It's, it's like trying to drink yourself sober is that you may think you've got control, but you're spiraling and someone needs to take you out of the picture. Yeah. So yeah, GitHub had a rough week or not GitHub, GitLab had a rough week, but I can tell you, my faith in them is not shattered. That's how I feel about it. I, I'm perfectly, you know? I'm perfectly fine with this. I mean, being in this industry, you know, this stuff happens. It happens all the time. Sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit more public than others. Sometimes companies like to cover it up and and say it was something else. Oh, we got hacked. It was uh, uh, uh you know, this stuff happens. And the bottom line is. There might have been um, some inconvenience for developers because they were down for a long time. Yeah, so there, there could have been some convenience for inconvenience for developers. If I paid for an account on GitLab, I definitely would have the expectation that they would recover and recover my accounts first. But ultimately, they recovered and. I didn't hear a lot of fallout about missing commits because that was the big thing that they were talking about were the commits and I think issues might be lost or something. And I didn't hear a lot of fallout about that. So this stuff happens. They were very upfront about what happened, very transparent on what they were doing to recover. They had, they spun up Google docs. They were, they had a pretty regular Twitter stream going and then, Eventually, they started the YouTube live stream. So, yeah, I'm yeah, fine I mean, with it. If you've, if you've ever been working and your Comcast provided connection goes down, you have no idea when it's coming back. Mm. Even, even with high-level SLAs, they'll just say, we're aware of the issue. Mm-hmm. So to sit on your thumbs and wait for that is far worse than having a live stream of information about what they're trying to do. Uh. You know, I, I'm very impressed by my, their response. My favorite was I was working in the enterprise. We had a data center in Virginia. We're here in San Diego. Our data center was in Virginia. 
and it goes offline. And we're like, what the hell just happened? And we're not talking about one system, two system. I'm seeing the data center went offline. And so we're scrambling. We're trying to get in touch with the data center. It turns out there were a couple miles from the data center. There are people digging, trying to steal copper wire. And they cut right <laughs> through the fiber to the data center and took them offline. It's like, okay, yeah, this sucks. You know, it's like, despite our best effort, despite having disaster recovery failover, it can all go to crap very quickly. And, and it was funny because we're right in the middle. You know, we were initiating our failover, our disaster recovery plan, which entailed physically going to the data center, getting the latest backups, going to another data center and restoring things. And that's a process. I mean, that doesn't happen instantaneously. And so, you know, it's like they're trying to fix their, you know, they, they have to get the people out to fix the fiber. They're fixing the fiber. We assume they'll have the fiber fixed before we can fail over, but we have to continue our disaster recovery plan because if something goes sideways for them, we need to get back online. And it was a mess, man. It was such a mess. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't account for everything. You can just try. Yeah. So what else we got? I'm I'm shuffling this around. Yep, moving things around. That's fine. That's fine. I want to give you. I want to give you. Uh, you want to. You want to move to Spark? We can talk Spark. Yes, Laravel Spark. Yeah, that's just a side. I I thought it, I thought it was kind of a side note. Obviously, with Laravel five three release, you know, Spark is going to be not too far behind it. So Spark now, four got released today. I'll tell you what I like the most about this. About Spark? Yeah, about about this 4.0 update. Okay. Is that updating your version of Spark from 3 to 4 has one command. It's artisan spark update dash dash major. Yep. Now, I'll tell you why I like this. Is that one of the things, well, not one of the things. What Spark is, is a lightweight version of the Laravel framework. It's a it's a lightweight, basically just the uh, dependency injection mechanics. And that's it. No, no, no. You're thinking Lumen. I am thinking of Lumen. Oh, no. <laughs> Good try, though, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Laravel Spark is the... Uh, the package that Taylor created to manage groups and teams and take payments. And it was all like that grunt work that you typically do when you're trying to create a SAS or, or some sort of application where you have a lot of group management and subscription where you, where you won't be able to be able to subscribe to a, to a service. You better, so, you better edit my previous statement out. You want me to edit that out? I'm going to be so, I'm going to be so <laughs> mad. I'm gonna be so mad. But I just explained all the spark. I can't edit it. Making me look like you're making me look like an idiot. No, no. (laughs) So if you don't know, uh, Spark is a management interface for. uh, I can't even do it now. You've crushed me. (laughs) I don't. 
I don't know what to do at this point. Should we do a break and do it again? Either way, either way, I I really like the update method. Single command, minimal changes to your or no changes to your code. It's just boom, update, major revision. <laughs> not that not that exciting of a story anymore, is it? No. <laughs> I was wondering why you'd bump that up the list. I'm like, okay, I was I was just gonna mention it, but I should have mentioned it earlier, actually. I should have moved it up sooner, but I didn't. What are we at? Forty minutes. I yeah. can recover. Can you recover? You got time to recover? Well, not with this story. No, no, I'm gonna I'm queuing you up, man. I'm queuing you up. Relax. Since we were talking about GitLabs and GitHub, more GitHub. I stumbled across a cool little site. But I couldn't get to work. It, it's called commit print. <laughs> you know what I, I had a problem with was uh, getting it to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's called. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try again because I'm not sure. Maybe they were down or something when I tried earlier. But they have a they have a site called. Oh, look at that! See now it's working. Ha <laughs> ha! See you don't know, son. You don't know. So the site called Tip. commit. No, nope, nope, still not working. Hold on. <laughs> See, yeah, no, it, it's it's now claiming that it's working, but it's not actually working. No, it's it's working. You have to you have to choose a year. I, I didn't choose a year. That that was the problem. Can you choose multiple years? No, you can only choose one year. Ah, I see. That doesn't seem as cool at all because I'm only seeing one line. So commit print. What this does is it ties into your. You, you don't have to authenticate it or anything. You just put in your a GitHub name and. It pulls their commit history and you can create posters based on your commit history. So it sounds a little geeky. I hear you. I know that's what you're feeling. Oh, you, you can select multiple years. I guess it depends on the the poster you have. But yeah, you select, um, you put in a username, you select the design, the poster design style you want and the colors you, you'd like. And it generates some pretty cool looking little posters based on your commit history i like it generates like it this. generates some theoretically cool posters based off your commit history unfortunately as we've discussed in the past my commit history is decidedly barren on public repos you know you can publish now this is a feature that they released within the last year you can with on your your little wall where it shows your commit history you can actually publish that now, even on private repos. You actually have a different problem, though. You don't use GitHub. That's your yeah, problem. Yeah, I'm you, just. You guys use the I'm enterprise using... Git Vault, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So you're not you're you're not actually on the public GitHub. So all your commits aren't even translating over. That that is a problem for you. Same thing holds true if you if you use Bitbucket or GitLab. This this doesn't help you. This is only if you use uh, GitHub and only if it's obviously beneficial if you have even your private repos reflected on your commit history wall. I don't I don't know how you would describe that, but um, which is something you can do now. It used to be your private repos. The only thing I showed on your public wall was commits to public repos, but now on your public wall, you can show not the names of the private repos, just the, your little green wall, the dots. You can show commits to private repos on your public wall. 
Yeah. One of my grapes about that has always been, and it still is, I, I don't know if it's still a problem because I haven't had to do it recently, is that when you're removed from a repo, so let's say you work for a company for five years and you've committed to repos for them for five years and you've got a nice wall going, when you leave that company and you're removed from that repo, your commits disappear. So that wall, your wall basically goes blank again. And that's always kind of been a gripe of mine. It's like, yeah, you know, there should be some sort of mechanism that says, yeah, yeah, you know, this guy made commits for these five, two, five years, two years, whatever it is, instead of having these blanks in your wall. Yeah, but you know, I'm against this idea of, of a Git history as as resume material anyways. I mean, to me, what was interesting about this was that this was a an application of what I would consider a quick Laravel app. This is a single page website. It doesn't look like it was hard to put together. It has a lot of great design in it. It has a lot of great functionality for someone who wants to say, hey, I've got a cool Git history. I wouldn't mind seeing it on the wall in my office. It's a service that's geek oriented, unique, cool. And yeah, like on a single page, you pull it up and you can preview it and all the colors and options. And then you can print and have it shipped to you on a single page. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of cool stuff. It tells you on that page how to switch to the public and private contributions so you can flesh it out a little bit more. This is the kind of app that I think Laravel calls itself an artisan's framework for this kind of app. (laughs) And seeing an app like this gives me lots of ideas. It gives me this sort of interest in creating one-page apps that gather a single source of data and just create a picture of it. Mm. This is a form of art I could see in my house, which is nerd data mapping. I totally would purchase one of these. I'm still considering doing it. I mean, it's see, 26 bucks for a 12 by 16 or 32 bucks for 18 by 24. I would consider doing that. Yeah, Just I think if I, if, I, if I committed myself to a year of open source development, then I would love to see that year printed out in in a decorative format like this. That, be very that would cool. be an, uh, a nicer feather in the cap if you did a bunch of open source development, especially if, if that was your goal for a year to say, Hey, this year I'm going to contribute to open source a lot and you're successful at it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it was just a year of tickets that I had closed from my work, it'd be one thing. But if it was a year of contributions to open source, that'd be a completely different thing. I'm with you on that. That that's reasonable. That's reasonable. This this reminds me of also, you know, you can do this uh, something similar with your DNA. Like you, you can get uh, your DNA, you send your, your DNA, like you spit into a, a jar or something and you send your Isn't that just having children? DNA off and they do just they throw do it a out there like and this. seeing what the world makes of it. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I've I've opted out of that process. You opted out. Having having yeah. a picture of your DNA hanging on the wall. You think that could be a security risk? I think it could. I think if we can take pictures of a person's keychain and 3D print all of their keys, then I probably don't want a copy of my DNA on the wall. 
police could come in. So, yep, this this is our murderer. There's his DNA printed right there. We know it's him. Do you do you think that if you had a picture of your DNA on the wall, that the police would be able to just use that as evidence against you? If you refused to give up a swab of your DNA, but they had entered your house and taken a picture of a DNA stain on the wall. God damn, that is that's a great question. I I don't know. Right. I mean, I was joking around, but you 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 make a good point. Yeah. If I refused to give my DNA, but they got a search warrant for my house and I had a poster of my DNA hanging up in my office. That's a great question. Why are you refusing to give your DNA? You I got, got something th- to hide. I got things to hide. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, OK, for for our regular listeners, if someone says, do you have something to hide? The answer is yes. <laughs> Oh, maybe that's where I'm going wrong. No, no. The correct answer. If the police say, why won't you let me do X? Is it because you have something to hide? The correct answer is yes. Why is that? Because because everyone has something to hide. That is what privacy means. But does that not give them reason, reasonable doubt or, or give not them at all? Not in the slightest bit. If okay. you have something that you want to hide. That does not give them the right to know it. So we're we're gonna go we're gonna go down this this dirty dirty path. I can feel like I already know what's about to happen. We're gonna oh, go God. down this alley. I know it. You don't know what's gonna happen too. That's the worst part. We've we've talked about it in the past. You you're just as guilty of this, and, and I've called you on it as well. You have an Amazon Echo in your machine or in your house. Oh uh, yes, I have several actually. I have three Amazon Echoes, and I have one of the new Google home assistants. And I've always kind of just, it it dawned to me that I have bugged my house. Like I have put open mics in my home now and it bothers me because so this, this is this man, we can't get political, whatever we do. If it makes you feel any better, you had open mics in your house long before Amazon products did with uh, cell phones. With cell phones, 3DS, any gaming console, webcams that appear to be turned off, laptops. So now uh, telephones, radios, there is documented proof of police organizations subpoena, trying to do a subpoena on an Amazon Echo. In Arkansas, there was a murder at a house. And the cops are trying to subpoena the records from the Amazon Echo that was in the house, not because they have any reason to think that the Amazon Echo picked up anything. Just It's just like a blind, hey, yeah, we want to see what this Amazon Echo recorded in this guy's house during the time of the murder, because we think. And that's could. where they'll lose. Will they, though? I mean, that's the thing. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. No, they'll lose if they if they have no corroborative evidence. That that brings us to this story, which has been really making the rounds in the tech circle on the web. Uh, I'll, I'll give you just the headline here. Uh, Suspecting arson, cops subpoena homeowners pacemaker logs, then charge him with multiple felonies. That's so, nuts, right? The opening line is nuts. Let me give you just the closing line. The Literally, the closing line of the article is... It's worth noting that gasoline was also found on various pieces of Compton's clothing. Okay, that sounds like an arson to me, yeah. 
right? So the, the opening our line of the article is pacemaker was used as evidence. The closing line of the article is kind of, but really he was already in jail and the cops were looking for additional evidence. So, so explain what happened. One of the things, one of the things that upsets me about this is how quickly the story has become completely mutilated by Facebook and, and just all the other telephone systems, you know, telephone game systems of communication we have right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share it to this website, then this website shares it, then this website shares it, then this website shares it. I've seen it once from this main article on Network World. And then I've seen a number of articles quoting Network World. But the difference between those articles is those articles claim that this man was convicted of the crime based off of this pacemaker evidence. They do not go into all the other data that was related the reason why this data was incriminating, the reason why a warrant was actually issued. Yeah, but I, I think the, the bigger picture is, did they have the right to issue a warrant and do they have the right to that information? I, this now, they a- had a right to issue the warrant to anything. The police can issue a warrant for your phone or for your computer history. They All they have to do is say, we want it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. They can issue a warrant over anything they want. The thing that is indemnifying here is that they got the warrant. Right. So I think that's the story. So, so the story is despite any other evidence that they might've had that this person had committed this crime, which was arson. And it sounds like there was other evidence. It's, it's all fine. The story here is that they issued a warrant or they issued a, it was a warrant, right? Yeah. They issued a warrant for the guy's, records the log files from his pacemaker and then they took that information and lined it up to the crime and said okay you know look this guy's heart rate starts to elevate when this when the crime is occurring that kind of gives you indication that maybe he's doing doing something wrong here and so that's the that's what's implied in the article mm -hmm. but that's not actually what happened they're not measuring that he had an elevated heart rate during the commission of a crime. So there are, there are a number of things to be concerned about here, which is the police were looking for information specific to activities that they knew had happened, which is that the guy had moved a large amount of items of sentimental and financial value out of the house. So he had taken things and created a pile in his backyard to save from the fire that the police said was impractical for him to have actually done. Then they went to the judge and issued the warrant based off of that and the fact that he had gasoline on his clothing. And that resulted in them getting this pacemaker footprint. And I use the word footprint very specifically because in the same way that he left traces of committing the crime in the logs of his pacemaker, you could leave traces of a crime with your boot print outside of somebody's house if you were going to rob their house. But I disagree, though. Uh, so whether or not they just used it to collaborate. Uh, Corroborate. Yeah, the, the story or the issue. The, the, the thing is, is, this is a piece of you. I get your your metaphor of leaving a footprint behind, but... This is this just seems different. I mean, this is almost like 
you know, you're, you're tagged as a human. You, know, you have you have a device in you that could that could be used against you. I mean, it's literally it's almost unfair to to a degree because they couldn't use that same sort of evidence on any other person. They couldn't say, "Hey, I want to pull the logs from your beating heart and and see if it if it lines up with this crime you committed." Where there's part of me that I'm like, "Hey, whatever evidence you can gather to assure that a person did something wrong, there's part of me that wants to agree with that. And I've always kind of been, I've always been one of these people that I'm like, yeah, the government can watch what I'm doing. I don't care if they watch what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything wrong. So they can watch all they want. And that statement, and I've been guilty of saying that, that statement is fine until all of a sudden your government is not a government you agree with anymore. And then all, all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait a minute. I said you could watch my stuff, but you know, you're not supposed to have taken that information and, and flipped it and interpreted it this way. You know, it's sort of that same along that same line. It's like, you know, yeah, I need a pacemaker. Pacemakers are going to save my life. But do I want to risk that ever being used against me in a court of law? And if it's used against him, could it ever be used to clear him? Like if those log files had come back and and showed, oh yeah, this guy didn't do anything. You know, could that? I don't know. I I'm on the fence about this one. It's it's all like so. Uh, I'll I'm going to throw a wrench in it here. The big point of contention here is that this may be a violation of the Fifth Amendment, which protects a person from being forced to incriminate themselves. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Now the question is. Where does that line get drawn? With other technologies, we have drawn that line. So when we check your DNA versus DNA found at the scene of a crime, we can freely collect your skin cells off of a glass or a windowsill at the crime scene. Mm -hmm. But we cannot force you to give up your DNA cells. Right. So even though those cells that you would be forced to give up are exactly the same as the cells that you accidentally shed in the commission of a crime, we can't force you to open your mouth and let us swab your cheek. Mm -hmm. That line was drawn in specific court cases 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. The question now is, what will the court cases be that draw the new line of what defines personal information. Now, right. if if he if these log files were stored on the pacemaker only and he had prevented them from physically reading them off the pacemaker with some kind of wand device, then that would be one argument. Mm-hmm. But if they went to read them off of his heart and he didn't stop them, that would be another argument. Mm-hmm. But if they were stored if they were stored on a machine in his home, that was under a search and seizure warrant or, or even, those log even, files, even if they were, even if they were stored on a server in the cloud, right? It's like, should they still be able to access those log files? Regardless of whether or not we, it's on him. If he was suspected of, of a crime and they had gathered a subpoena for his computer, not for his pacemaker, but for his computer. Mm hmm. And his computer happened to have this pacemaker data on it. Would we be having the same conversation? 
Right. And I think that's that's one of the things that we need to think about as a uh, society, as a free society, uh, and one that believes in civil liberties and civil rights is where are those lines drawn? Uh, you know, it's just because that information is no longer physically in his body in, in the sense that it's now a log file that's been stored somewhere else. Does that change the properties of that information? Is it no longer personal information connected to this person that shouldn't be used against them? Regardless of where it's stored, you know, that's... So, so here's my here's my proposition to you and to our listeners, which is psychologically or philosophically, if you are dependent on a device medically, should those logs from that device, which are intended exclusively to maintain your quality of life, ever be admissible in court? Right. Or should those should those logs forever be private logs that are excluded simply because it is a miscarriage of justice to use a person's quality of life standards against them? Is it Mm -hmm. to say something is keeping you alive with the caveat that it can be used against you at any time, ethically wrong? Exactly. And I mean, if you really want to put on the tinfoil hats, you could easily go down the path of if we decide that as a society, yeah, that sort of information can be used against you. What's to stop groups from gathering more information through these devices? Uh, you know, you, you you get a pacemaker and you think all it's doing is logging certain information. But if that becomes a window into what you do as a person in the government or some private industry feels that, hey, this is good information to have. Let's expand on it. It's. Like Facebook, right? Think about it as Facebook inside your body. Sure. Which there is actually a porn site called that, Facebook inside you. But Ew. That's, that's a different thing. <laughs> but, you know, that's information that people are freely contributing to Facebook, and they're not understanding how Facebook is using it. And, and for the most part, they think they don't care. They think it's like, oh, I don't care. I'm benefiting it's a free service that I benefit from. I get all this. I, I get to stay in touch with all my friends and we get to do all this fun stuff, but you should care and you should know how they're leveraging that information, how they're using it today. And what's scarier is that you don't know how they're going to use it tomorrow. Facebook is starting to track where you're at, when you're there, what you're doing, who you're talking to, who you're interacting with. What's to happen when Somebody who's really smart realizes, hey, this person was with this person. They shouldn't have been with this person during this time because this person's wife didn't know that's where they were. Now it's sure it's crazy. And you like to think that we we would never get to that point as a society. But I've thought a lot of things about society as a whole that has basically been shattered over the last year. And, you know, I'm I'm getting very concerned about this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think if you look at what service that these pacemaker logs provide, it is very literally a memory of events that occurred. Without the pacemaker, there is still a log of the events as they occurred. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that log is in the person's brain. Yep. And we're coming close on a time where we could, if we wanted to, probe a person's brain and say, what was your heart rate 
when this occurred? What was your mood when this occurred? Would that be a violation? Mm-hmm. And now is the time to determine whether or not that is a violation of your rights. Now is the time to expand the Fifth Amendment or at least redress it and say that this data is private and can't be used by a company even if they trick you into giving it up. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Also, cyberpunk is real. We live in the future. It is, man. It's complete, are, it's, it's complete chaos. <laughs> you know, I, I keep, you know who keeps dropping off of Facebook? Who? Savvy people. Who? Savvy people. People who have their finger on the pulse. <laughs> to me, my friends in the tech industry are disappearing from Facebook. I, I know I have. Because they're getting scared. Yeah, I, I, they're, I actually, they're seeing things happen and it's terrifying. I've had some stuff happen recently where I just went, oh, Jesus, I've got to get off social media. Yeah, I've got to get off cookies. I mean, I'm not a JavaScript blocker. Mm-hmm. I don't block all JavaScript on every page. I don't block cookies. I don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But lately, lately, dude, I am freaking out Yeah, because I've I have I've got a new address, you know. And Amazon knew about my new address before I could remember it. <laughs> yeah, you just, tell them just once, knew. they remember. I never told them. Well, you had to have told them. They, they had nope. to figure it out. Come on. Mm-mm. You're trying Mm-mm. to tell me they figured out where you're moving to without you telling, I'm telling them? You, I'm telling you that Amazon suddenly started recommending cold weather clothing that I have never had any interest in before. Just it just started saying, "Hey, are you sure you just you haven't think noticed about, it?" You should all think about it's like no. it's like you get a you get a pink car, and then all of a sudden you realize, "Hey, there are other people driving pink cars on the road." I never noticed that before. Mm-mm. Nope. I'm telling you the 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 search engines, the stores, the stuff we use online is tailored to every individual, mm-hmm. and it is constantly undergoing revision. And if you are looking for houses in Colorado, Amazon knows. And Amazon wants to get you cold weather clothing. It's scary. You're scary, man. You're scary. You pulled me down into your little doom and gloom world today, and I don't appreciate it much. My dark, my dark little circle. Oh, man. All right. It's late, man. We're calling it. We're wrapping this one up at some point. Putting a pin on it. In the future, some of these podcasts may be used against us in a court of law <laughs> in the near future all right thomas i appreciate everything you've done for us eric it's a pleasure we are going to wrap it up this has been episode 48 of php ugly i'm eric van johnson i'm tom redacted <laughs> keep it ugly keep it ugly Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and a special thanks to our sponsor, Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then you want to reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Links and show notes from this episode of PHP Ugly can be found at www.phpugly.com. You can follow our hosts on Twitter, you can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Play Podcast, or SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, keep it ugly.